All right, we're going to be in the book of Revelation tonight. Revelation chapter 15. <clears throat> I tried to get into this last Wednesday night. Of course, my voice gave out on me, so we're going to do the best we can tonight and see if the good Lord lets us get into it. Revelation chapter 15. Before we read through this, I'd like to ask some questions. Anybody remember what the purpose of this letter is? What is the purpose of it? What did John say? This is the reason why Jesus showed it to him and he wrote it for us. Anybody remember that? So show the show his servants the things that must take place soon. So in other words, God wanted us as his servants to see the things that are going to take place soon, correct? He also told us in the uh, book of Revelation chapter 1, I think it's somewhere around verse 3 or 4, He told us that there is a blessing in reading this book. That, um, that we can expect that God is going to bless us as we read through this book. And we don't know exactly how that blessing will come or exactly what it will be, but we do know that we're going to see some things about God that are going to make us thankful for what He's going to do for us before a lot of these things happen. And so, we're, we're thankful for that. But, if you would remember, He also gave us an outline in Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, if you wanted to flip over and look at it real quick, and hold your place in 15, so we'll come right back to it. This is also how we interpret the book and how we determine exactly what it is that John's trying to get across to us here. But in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus told John, He said, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those things that are, and those that are to take place after this. And one of the things that we saw in that is that that gives us a threefold outline for this book. Ultimately, the first chapter, John has a vision that he sees of Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus doing in this vision? Anybody remember? He's walking among the churches. He's inspecting the churches. And ultimately, whenever we get into chapters 2 and 3, we, we move into the next part of the outline. The things that are. So the first thing he saw was a vision of Jesus, all right, walking through the churches. The second thing that he saw was the results of Jesus' inspection. And so in chapters 2 and 3, when we read through Revelation, we read the churches and the, and the results of Jesus' inspection. He looks at each individual church and he says, here's the things you have good going on, here are the things that are not good going on, and here's what you need to do, all right? And then we learn that we can take that and apply it to our life, right? That in one way or another, we fall into every one of them categories of those churches for the most part. And ultimately, we can learn from that and have instruction from the Lord Jesus Himself. But then when we get into chapter 4, go to chapter 4 with me. Revelation chapter 4. Now what's the first two words? After this. So in other words, the first part of the outline was the things that are, 
And what are, are the things that he has seen? I'm sorry. The Lord Jesus Christ walking through the churches. The second part that he wrote were the things that are the result of the inspection, the condition the churches are right now. And then the last part of the outline for Revelations were the things that were going to take place after this. So in chapter 4, we get into the last part of the outline all the way to the end, and that is the things that are going to take place. Remember, that was the purpose of the letter, right? To be blessed. So we get the blessing in it by inspection from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and we're able to take correction from that or take uh, commendation from it, whichever the case may be. And then we're able to also move on into the next part of it. All right. So let's look at, to, uh, if you would, at chapter 4. And you would remember that he says, after this, he wanted us to see the things that must take place soon, right? This is all the things that must take place soon. And the first thing that he shows us is a throne room scene. All right. In chapters 4 and 5, we're in the throne room and we are got an image of God getting ready for judgment. All the churches surrounded the throne. There's rainbow over the th- throne. There is rumbles and thunders, and there, there, is, there is a getting ready for judgment. Then we move into chapter 6, and we have the judgment begins as the seals are opened. All right? And that's the first way that we see the wrath of God revealed to us in the tribulation period. There are actually three ways. The first way is through the seal judgment. God reveals it to us through this scroll, if you will, that has these seals on it. Seven of them. And as He opens each one of those seals, a judgment comes out with it. And by the time you get to the seventh seal, it opens up into... Another set of judgments, which is the second way that God reveals His wrath, which goes into trumpet judgments. When He opens the seventh seal, then all of a sudden we have seven angels with seven trumpets. The first angel blows its trumpet, wrath pours out. The second angel blows his trumpet, more wrath pours out. But now here's the thing that I want you to see. And I'm going somewhere, so y'all don't let me lose you. I'm trying to zoom out enough that you can see the whole book, okay? Y'all tracking with me? When you move from judgment, seal judgment, into chapter 7, you move into ministry on earth during the judgments, during the wrath, alright? And part of that ministry we see is the 144,000 Apostle Pauls. Y'all remember that? 144,000 Jews. And then we get a a picture of ministry on earth, then we get a picture of ministry in heaven. You remember that? As the multitude in heaven is praising God of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And so we get that picture. Well, then we move into chapter 8 and 9, and judgment continues again in the trumpet judgments. Alright? So then we have wrath being unleashed, and trumpet judgments are poured out. Then by the time you get to chapter 10, he stops again, and he shows you a picture of ministry on earth again, same way he did the last time. And so this is what he's doing all through Revelation. He's showing you his wrath being poured out, what that looks like, and then what ministry looks like during this time. And how. And the point is this. God wants us to see, I believe, in Revelation, God wants His servants to see that in all of His wrath and all of His pouring out of His wrath on this earth, 
He is still pouring out mercy. And He is still preaching the gospel and bidding sinners to come to Him all through this. And so the seals are opened up. 144,000 Apostle Pauls are preaching the gospel. Many people are saved. The trumpets open up. And then we have the two witnesses that, um, that we read about in Revelation chapter 11, I think it was. Uh, the, the two supernatural witness, witnesses that we, that we have in that place. All right, And then in Revelation chapter 12 and 13, he takes a break to show you the activity of Satan during this time. Because it's not just God pouring out His wrath, but it's also Satan pouring out His wrath as well, right? And so basically what we have is we move from the ministry on earth to the activity of Satan on the earth and what that looks like, namely the Antichrist and his activity, um, the false prophet and his activity. And we get a picture of that in 12 and 13. And then when we move to chapter 14, we move into ministry again. This is the ministry on earth during the activity of Satan. Namely, we have angels flying through the sky preaching the gospel. we got three different angels that are going through the sky preaching the gospel. And is that going to be literal or is that going to be symbolic? I can't say one way or the other. I interpret it literally because why wouldn't it be? Why couldn't God do that? Um, if that's what He decides to do to minister to the earth. He's done everything in His power to preach the gospel to the world. And many still won't repent. And so now He sends three angels to minister through this time. And if this is also a call for our endurance during chapter uh, 14 as well. So again, let's zoom out before we get to 15. You've got judgments, ministry on earth, vision of the results of that in heaven. Trumpet judgments, ministry on earth, vision of the results of that in heaven. And then we get into activity of Satan during this time. And then we get into ministry on earth again. And now we're moving into the final judgment. And with this judgment, the wrath of God is finished. Notice, read with me at Revelation chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. So again, there are three ways that God's wrath is revealed during this tribulation period. Seal judgments, seven of them. Every seal, a little something different that God pours out His wrath on the earth. Trumpet judgments, seven of them. Every trumpet, a little something different that God pours out on this earth. And then finally, the last part of it is the plagues. Seven angels with seven plagues. And with each one of them, God, and what you're going to see here is these are things that they just come one right after the other. As a matter of fact, <coughs> excuse me, if you'll look at chapter 16, because what chapter 16 is, is the explanation of these plagues. Alright? So look at chapter 16. Let's begin in verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, look at verse 2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. 
and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So now we have all these people that are left that have, that have took the mark of the beast and are worshipping the Antichrist. And God pours out His wrath on them with a plague that is very similar to the plague that He did in Egypt whenever He caused sores and boils to break out on them in Egypt. So here we have a sickness or a plague of some kind that comes down on the mark of the beast and who worships His image. But now, skip down with me to verse 5. <coughs> I'm sorry. I think it's verse 5. Let me look again. No, I'm sorry. It's not verse 5. It's verse 10. Look, with, look down with me at verse 10. What angel have we moved to? Hang on one second. Sandra, what'd you do with that bottle of water from your... <laughs> Are you sure? Sandra brought me a sample from her swimming pool in a bottle just like this. Okay, alright, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. Right. Yeah, she's got an algae problem too, so I didn't want to... <laughs> Alright, now look at chapter 16. Sorry, I didn't mean to put her information out there like that. But Look at verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. So what does that tell you about the, from the first plague to the fifth plague? That's right. Well, that tells us that for sure. Some people, no matter what God does, they just hate God, right? But what I'm looking at here is this. If by the fifth plague, people are still dealing with the sores from the first plague, that lets me know that between one and five, there's probably not a lot of time that passed by. You understand what I'm saying? And so one of the things that we see in this last set of plagues is that we see that really... By the time God gets to the last plagues, we know seven years take place between uh, the seals and the trumpets, right? But by the time the seventh trumpet blows and the plagues begin to pour out, what we can tell from here is this is at the end, and I mean it is quick. One right after the other. Boom, boom, boom. He pours out wrath. Some commentators actually believe it may take place in just a day or so. That, it, it, that all of this may take place very fast. Now, whether or not that's true, we don't know for certain. But it is interesting that we can see evidence that not a lot of time passes between these plagues. And so, Keila, do you have something you wanted to say? Okay. You know, for... A lot of them. A lot of them have died. Have died for, for have died for their faith. Have been martyred. But no, I don't believe every I don't personally believe that every Christian is gone at this point. Um all right.
It would be better to let your children die than to take that mark. Absolutely not. I believe the Bible is very clear that anybody that takes that mark, anybody, under any circumstances, and the reason I say that is because all throughout these chapters, you see, you see, um, like for instance, let me show you an example. Um, look back with me at Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 9. Revelation 14, starting in verse 9, and we're going to go down to verse 12. This is just one place I can show you this, all right? And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. And then what does verse 12 say? Yeah. <coughs> so what's that about? What, 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 what would you say the point of this for, uh, for Him showing us that this is going to take place why is He showing us that according to verse 12? It's not like you're denying Him. You are. That's right. You are. And that's the point, is that there will not be a believer. There will not be a Christian. They will sacrifice anything. Because at the end of the day, and this is difficult, I get it, but at the end of the day, even if my children have to die, it would be better that they starve and they die than for me to receive this mark and lead my family into an everlasting torment. So it's just like um, the people that are going to be beheaded or martyred for, uh, for not taking this mark. They understood that it was better to die. It was better to suffer. Great torment here and now for only a period of time than to take the mark to get away from suffering and experience eternal torment forever and ever. That's right. No. Right. That's correct. That's right. No. If you are a true Christian and your name, and I can take you to another Scripture that shows that. If your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the earth was ever created, I'd have to find that verse. It's in Revelation as well. But you will not worship the beast, and you will not take that take that mark. Um, yeah, look um, look at Revelation thirteen. 
starting in verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on all the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe, people, language, nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it, Except what? You see that? So here's the point. If you are a Christian and you have been born again, God is not going to allow you to follow this beast. No matter what. No matter whether He threatens your life, your children's life, no matter whether you can't buy or sell, whether you can't eat, it don't matter. If you are a believer and your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the earth, you will not take this mark. You will not take this mark. And so, does that, does that answer your question? Before the seven years, yes. Now, if we interpret that correctly, and there are some that interpret it different ways, but if we're interpreting this correctly, we believe that, that there is going to be a rapture of the church before the tribulation starts, right before. Right before the tribulation starts, God is going to rapture His children out of this world, and that's what we see in Revelation chapter 4. When we look at the throne room scene, because what we see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is God inspects the churches and He gives the results of His, of His inspection, right? Chapter 4, you don't hear of the church anymore. That's all right. And then you see the throne room of heaven and you see what represents the church, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles maybe, but it's 24 elders in there that they believe represents the church in the throne room of heaven when the tribulation starts and the seals are opened. And so again, if we're interpreting that incorrectly, and it's not a hill I think we have to die on, so I don't, if, if there's another denomination out there that preaches um, post-tribulation rapture, I'm not arguing with them, I'm not trying to, you know, we can look at the Scriptures and I can tell them why I believe there's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture. But bottom line is this, the Bible teaches a rap, God rapturing His people. Um, and there are several places that we see that. After. the, the Well, uh, here's the thing. The church is raptured at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, okay? The church is raptured. But people are still saved all throughout the tribulation. Many, many are saved through the tribulation. Matter of fact, whenever you go to um, Revelation chapter 8, go or I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 7, go with me there real quick. That's right. That's correct. <laughs> 
So look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. Or actually, start in chapter 6, verse um, verse uh, 15. Because what we have is the seals are opened up in chapter 6, and I'm talking about hell is unleashed on earth. I mean, the world is flying apart at the wrath of God that is coming down. And notice what happens in... Uh, start, let's just back up a little bit further. Start in verse 12 of chapter 6. And then we'll go to chapter 7. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale or a massive wind. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For, great, for the great day of their wrath has come, and what's that last question right there, Keelah? So in other words, John looks at this all this that's going on through the seals. And every mountain and island is removed and the meteor storm has fallen to the earth. Earthquakes are happening. Um, the sun has turned black. And all of a sudden, he gets to the end of it and kings and great people are running to the mountains crying out to the rocks saying, please fall on us and hide us from His wrath. And the question John ends with is, who can stand? That's a good question, ain't it? Chapter 7 is the answer to that. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he, talked, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. So who can stand? God is going to mark out 144,000 Jews, people of Israel. says it right there. 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. God is going to call out 144,000 Apostle Pauls. And we get that in other chapters. Uh, we see... Yeah, he's already took the Christians at this point. The seals have opened up at this point. All right? That's right. This is in the tribulation period. The people that are here, 144,000 Jews are saved. And out of that 144,000 Jews, if you'll look at verse 9, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every, not just the tribes of Israel, every nation, from all tribes and people and languages. And where are they in this next verse? 
And what are they clothed in? With palm branches in their hands and they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Here's the point. What you have a picture of. The question is, we have this picture of judgment. Remember me laying it out for you? we got this picture of judgment. Then we got a picture of the ministry on earth. The ministry is 144,000 Jews that are sealed during this time. During, while all of this is going on, all the judgment, these guys are sealed so that nothing can harm them. No matter what pours down on this earth, while kings and great people are running to the mountains, crying out for rocks to fall on them, these guys are untouched. That's exactly right. That's right. Yep, and I'll show you that here in just a minute. But then the next thing we see is the result of that ministry. The result of that ministry is standing before the throne of God. Now, we've already seen standing before the throne of God at the beginning, and that was 24 elders, and we saw the church there in chapter 4. Now in chapter 7, we see 144,000 ministers on earth, and out of their ministry comes a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and they have been saved and are standing before God as well, and have probably been martyred for their faith as a result of it. I'm not going to show you that again. You can go back and look at some of the previous studies and I've went through that. But go with me over to Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 1. This is at the end of the tribulation, all right? So they marked them at the beginning of the tribulation, called them out, and now as Bobby said, we get to the end of the tribulation and look what John sees. Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion, and this is talking about in Jerusalem, stood the Lamb and with Him, how many? Did He say 139,999? Not a single one of them have been lost through this tribulation time. Why? Because God marked them. God sealed them. And He said nothing is allowed to touch them. Nothing is allowed to harm them. And so they have been allowed to go throughout this world preaching the gospel and ministering throughout this time. And then God has also had in Revelation chapter 11 two supernatural witnesses that have been going throughout um, the, the nation of Israel and preaching the gospel to them as well. And then in Revelation chapter 14 we read that God also has three angels that are flying in the sky proclaiming a gospel. Look at Revelation chapter 14. Verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And so anyway, if you keep reading down through there, what you see is God has three angels flying throughout the sky, preaching from the sky the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we learn from this? Now, thank you. He has given every opportunity. There will be no one that will stand before God and say, I didn't know. I didn't have a chance. I never, I never heard. Um, 
So God's mercy has been shown over and over as His wrath has been proclaimed. Now, go back with me to Revelation 15 again. <clears throat> and finally, we get to the part where His wrath is finally going to be finished. We've had seven years of seal judgments. Seven years of trumpet judgments. And now we move into the plague judgments which are rapid fire. And we're going to see those here in chapter 16. Yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Right. Right. That's correct. That's correct. Yep. All right. Revelation chapter 15. Yes. That's correct. See, and that's another thing that, that I've taught on it a while back. But the Bible teaches that there was a... Um, his question was, that, so there's going to be 144,000 Jews that become Christians during this time. And the answer is yes. The Old Testament prophecies back in Isaiah and many other places actually predicted this, actually prophesied this, that Israel was going to be hardened their eyes were going to be blinded. They were going to reject their Savior. But God was going to save a remnant. There was going to be a remnant that He was going to save. And He was going to open their eyes. And He was going to... Romans chapter 11 describes it a little bit better. But He says that God is going to open their eyes and He is going to allow them to see Jesus for who He really is. And that's what we believe this 144,000 people are. There will be more Christians that result out of that 144,000. However, probably most everybody, if not all of them except the 144,000, are going to end up dying for their faith. Because ultimately, they're not going to take the mark of the beast, and the beast is going to make war on them. And the Bible told us that he's going to be allowed to conquer them. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Between the 144,000, the two witnesses, and the three angels that are preaching, yes. That's it. Well, 
Not necessarily. Are you? If you're referring to a calling as a rapture, like like where God pulls His people out, no. The only way they're pulled out during the tribulation is they die. That's right. They die because of their faith. That's right. And again, that's if we're interpreting that correctly. And we believe we are. But there are other Scriptures that might indicate that some Christ, that the Christians may have to go, the church may have to go through the tribulation, and then they go to heaven afterwards. Again, we believe that revelations can be interpreted when we go to chapter 4, that the church is in heaven before the tribulation starts. Yeah. So again, and based on other scriptures like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he talks about uh, being caught up, um, that we, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together at that first resurrection with Jesus in the sky. We believe that scriptures like that allude to a pre-tribulation rapture. So a rapture that takes place before the tribulation starts. Alright? Now, go back with me to Revelation chapter 15. And again, we got seven angels with seven plagues. And these are the last of all of the judgments of God. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. This is it. No more wrath. This, this is the, the last of it. Alright? And so what we have right here is in verse 2, he says, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps in the, of God in their hands, and they're singing the song of Moses with the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. And then we'll read what that song is here in just a minute. But here's what I want you to see. What we've just been reading about is the activity of Satan and him trying to make people take his mark, right? And the ones who won't take it, they die. As a result of that, when we get into chapter 15, before He shows you the image of the plagues being poured out, He shows you another throne room scene, just like He did in Revelation chapter 4. So now we have another throne room scene. You might remember in Revelation chapter 4 that we also had a sea of glass. In Revelation chapter 4 verse... Um, I think it was chapter 4. Verse 6. Okay. Yeah, back up to 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So here's what you get. When you get to Revelation chapter 15 and we see this sea of glass, we know that where we're at is we're back in the throne room of heaven. Now in chapter 4, who was in the throne room? God, the Lamb, and the church, right? And a few angels, alright? Whenever we move into chapter 7 and He looks up into heaven, who's in the throne room with God then? Another great multitude from every nation, tribe, and tongue that no one could number... So the crowd has grown. And then by the time we move into chapter 15, we get another vision of the throne room. And this time, who's in it? 
the ones who have been saved who did not take the mark of the beast, but they died as a result of it. And they're standing now and they're praising God in the throne room. All right, They didn't survive. They suffered. They died. But now they're in heaven with God. All right, And so it was worth it all. And so what you have here is another vision of the throne room. And this is what John does all throughout the book. He shows you wrath. He shows you ministry. He shows you the scene in heaven. He shows you wrath. He shows you ministry. He shows you the activity of Satan. And then He shows you the scene in heaven. And then He shows you right before the wrath starts again, another scene in heaven. And this scene has the people who have died for their faith as a result of them not taking the mark no matter what the cost was. All right? And they have these harps of God in their hand. God has supplied them with the way... Some of y'all, you know, I can't play a guitar. But I believe in heaven God's going to hand me a harp or something. And you know what I'm going to be able to do with that thing? Chris Michelle ain't ever tore strings up like I'm going to do with that thing. That's right. That's exactly right. And so they, every one of these guys are holding harps of God in their hands and they're singing a song to God. And then in, notice in verse, um, verse 3 what they're singing. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. And so here's what I believe they're singing. I think that they're singing, they are singing glory to God because of the the things that He is that the rest of the world is rejecting. All right, Remember, the world won't worship God. The world won't submit to God. The world don't want to acknowledge who God is and, and give Him honor and glory and thanks. Romans chapter 1. Remember that? The world does not want to do that. These people have been saved and they see Him. They give Him glory. They give Him honor. But the rest of the world won't. And so what we see here are the reasons why they worship Him and the reasons that the other ones reject Him for. And so in the first part of it, they recognize that God's deeds are what? Great and amazing. They're giving God the glory. Hold your place there and go back with me to Romans chapter 1 and notice what the world won't do. Romans chapter 1, verse, um, verse 21. Yep, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. My favorite, this is my favorite scriptures, set of scriptures in all the Bible. Um, I, I can honestly say that. A lot of people tell you, well, I don't have a favorite. I can't pick. I can. I can pick favorites out. And there is no scripture in my mind that matches what Romans 1 tells us. Because, and this is why I believe the Bible, because of what Romans 1 teaches us. But let's just look at just verse 21. He says, For although they knew God, they did not what? Honor Him as God, or what? Give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so without reading the rest of it, here's the point. The problem with the world is that we see God and we know who God is by looking at creation. There's no excuse. But the world refuses to acknowledge Him. They refuse to honor Him. They refuse to give Him thanks. 
Instead, the sinner's heart doesn't want God's ways. They don't like God's ways. They don't want to hear God's ways. I want to do what I want to do. I want to live my life. I want to be God. Now, do we come out and actually say the words, I want to be God? No. But how do we actually say it? By living lives that refuse to honor Him, but instead dishonor Him by the life we live. And by living lives that refuse to give Him thanks for who He is. We refuse to recognize that His deeds are great and amazing. So they sing the song. They've been saved. And in Revelation chapter 15, verse 3, they're singing the song, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. They recognize Him for who He is. They honor Him. They give Him thanks. Now the world, they won't do it. But these people recognize that God deserves fear and glory. He is God Almighty. He is just and true. He is King of all creation. They recognize it and they proclaim it to Him even though the rest of the world won't do it. Look over at chapter 16, verse... um, Starting in verse 5. Notice what happens here. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you have brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And then notice verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. And notice the last part. They did not repent and give Him glory. So what is the problem here? The problem is that the world refuses to acknowledge God and give Him the glory and the honor and the worship that He deserves. And instead, we live our own lives doing our own thing. We become futile in our thinking. Our foolish hearts are darkened. And we go right into the world following following sinful ways, right? And here He's trying to get us to repent, to turn around, to give Him glory. And the ones that are saved are in heaven. God gives them harps and He gives them a song. And what do they sing? They sing, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? And what is that? What's the answer to that question? Huh? That's right. You alone are holy, but who will not fear and and give glory to your name? Well, these people that you're fixing to pour your wrath out on, these people that are fixing to receive your judgments, and guess what? They are just and they're true. Ultimately, think about what's happening. The plagues are fixing to be poured out. It's the final wrath of God, and they are terrible. Terrible. It's the worst of the worst. You ever heard that expression, you ain't seen nothing yet? You ain't seen nothing yet. And before this is poured out, this group of people that recognizes and worships Him, they look and they say, because you're great and almighty, because you deserve to be feared, because you are just and you are true, what you're fixing to do to people who will not fear you and honor you and glorify your name, it's deserved. It's deserved. 
And if you ever see God face to face, and you see what these people see, you will agree with it. That anybody that refuses to give, if it's your own kid, you will agree with them. And who in here wants to see anybody you love suffer? I don't. But I promise you this, the glory of God, and He is going to be so great and so awesome, and when you see Him for who He is, you will agree that if your loved one refuses to give Him glory and honor, they deserve everything they get. That's hard to believe, ain't it? It's hard to say. But this group right here understands it, and they agree. They don't care who's left. Anybody that refuses to fear God and glorify His name, they deserve it. Because He's just and He's true. He is great. He is awesome. He is amazing. He is almighty. Why? For you alone are holy. And one way or another, look what He says next. One way or another, what's going to happen? All nations are going to come to you. You remember what he said in Philippians chapter 2? Every knee is going to do what? And every tongue is going to confess what? That's exactly right. One way or another, you're going to bow that knee and you are going to recognize Him for who He is. It may be too late when some of them do it. But one way or the other, all nations are going to come to you and all nations are going to worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. And then in verse 5, After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witnesses was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues. And so here's the, the layout for you, so you understand it. Basically, the introduction of chapter 15 is, the wrath of God is fixing to be complete. I see the seven angels as the seven plagues. But then he sees all the ones that are saved, and they're giving God glory, and they're saying, hey, these plagues are deserved for all who will not recognize these things about you. And then he moves back to the vision of the sanctuary opens up, the throne room opens up, and out of that comes the seven angels with the seven plagues, and they're on their way to deliver the final wrath of God. And so in verse 6, out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now think about this, and we're coming to a close. In chapter 4, we saw the throne room, and the first thing we see around the throne of God are the four living creatures. They are these... Um, um, I believe they're what Isaiah 6 talks about, the seraphim. They had six wings. With two they flew, with two they covered their eyes, with two they covered their feet, and all day long, all they do was fly around the throne of God proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now we have these four living creatures, and from the throne room of God, God says, hand out seven bowls of wrath. And these four living creatures take these bowls of wrath and they give them to these seven angels and they say, go. And the seven angels leave the sanctuary clothed in pure clothes with a golden sash around them. And then notice what happens in verse 8. 
And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So what we have here is just a picture of the throne room scene again. We're seeing the final wrath of God is fixing to be poured out. We see the ministry and the, the result of it during this tribulation. and We see them worshiping God and saying that He is just and true to do what He's fixing to do. And then we see them coming out of the sanctuary with the bowls. And what do you think we're fixing to see in chapter 16? One at a time. Here they come. Here they come. And that's what we get to see in this. So, is there anything to praise God for in these Scriptures we read tonight? He's just. That's exactly right. Anything else? That our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's right. Again, if we interpret that correctly, you're exactly right. Yep. Anybody else? One day all this is going to be finished and all sin and evil is going to be wiped away. He is finally going to destroy it all. Anybody else? What else can we take from this? He sure does, don't He? He gives multiple chances. I love what Romans said. He said, um, do you despise the kindness of God, the goodness of God? Do you not know that the goodness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? But instead what you're doing is storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath by not repenting. So in other words, here's the point that he's making. Right now, we have both the kindness and the mercy of God and we have wrath of God. We experience both of those. Now as children of God, it's no longer wrath. Let me say that. It's more discipline and it's more um, suffering for our own uh, holiness, things like that. However, for unbelievers, they have both the kindness of God and they have the wrath of God. The reason why they have both is because God wants them to look at both. He wants them to look at the wrath of God and say, I don't want any more of that. Then He wants them to look at the kindness of God and say, I want more of that. And it's meant to lead us to repentance so that we turn away from wrath and move to His kindness and move to His goodness. And so I'm thankful today for second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and so on and so on. I'm thankful today that I get to experience His goodness and His kindness and I get to see that this is just a glimpse of what He has prepared for me one day. And even the wrath that we experience. I'd also say it's just a glimpse of what those that don't know Him will, will receive for eternity one day. Alright, any questions or comments? He is. That's exactly right. Amen. Remember, the purpose of this is He wanted you to see the things that must take place soon. He wants you to see this. That's the reason why we go through it. 
And I believe He wanted us to see it so that we can praise Him for the things that He deserves to be praised for and so that we can be prepared for the things that may be coming in the future and we can help prepare others. That's exactly right. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you all for your time and attention. We'll come back uh, next Wednesday and we're going to have a, a very short business meeting. Just take care of one little thing. Probably take five minutes, if that. And then right after that, we will move into um, another Bible study into Revelation chapter 16. And um, hopefully we won't be too long before we'll actually finish up Revelation. So, been in it for a little while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is that Scooter's mama? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Stress fractures. Oh, there you go. All right. Well, at least I got the fracture part right. All right. Yeah. In his knee, I think he told me he had one in his upper neck too. If I remember right, but we'll figure that out later. Well, though I'm not, I'm not fighting with you right now. All right. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, thank y'all again. For your time and attention, are y'all? Are, are can I ask you this? Are y'all able to see the overview of Revelation? Are you able to see what's going on? That's one of my biggest things. Is I want you to be able to see it in such a way that you can you can understand how he put it together and what he was doing. It's really not that difficult to see. That's right. There's never any chaos up there. That's right. That's right. His throne, he's never he never left his throne. I mean, everything is exactly as it should be. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's one reason I was telling you. They're all recorded. So, you know, if you if you want to go back and look at any particular chapter, you could go back and you could see where we've covered it because I've tried to cover a chapter at a time. Um, I've tried not, you know, it's it's hard, but you can get caught up in a verse at a time. And I've tried not to do that. I've tried to show the big picture in each chapter. And so I think we've done that so that we can at least have a better understanding of what's happening from chapter to chapter. To refresh. Right.
And that's smart. I do the same thing with my teachers that I listen to. I got a lot of teachers I listen to, and I love to just be able to stop and 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 look up other scriptures and then start it again. And so that's wise. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of people do. They stay away from it, but yeah. That's right. Blessed is he who reads it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. All right. Thank you all again. I love you. We're going to close in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. So y'all pray with me. Father, we come to you one more time and we just say thank you for your word. Father, you truly are just and true. You are great and amazing in all of your deeds. Father, you are Almighty God, the only Holy One. And Father, we give you praise tonight for who you are. Father, we thank you, God, that Lord, as Chris said, you are always in control. That where you are, there is nothing ever that um, that you wring your hands about. And Father, I just thank you, God, Lord, that um, uh, that you are our God. Father, we pray tonight and just give you thanks for the book of Revelation and just ask, God, that you would just continue to open our eyes to what you want us to see. Father, I just pray, God, that um, uh, Lord, that each and every one of us here are are prepared and ready so that, Lord, If you're willing, we will not have to face any of this one day, Father. Lord, we're going to be in heaven in the throne room praising You, uh, watching it all unfold, Father. And Lord, I just pray, God, that You would just help us to to go out through the rest of this book and um, and Lord, to get whatever it is that You mean for us to receive out of it, God. Lord, we love You. We thank You for everything You do for us. And we ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.